Welcome to the Questionable to Return podcast, where three lifelong friends discuss Wisconsin sports and more. Now, here's your hosts, Andy, Mike, and Pete. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Questionable to Return podcast. As always, I'm Andy, here with my buddies Mike and Pete. (laughs) Just kidding. They're not here tonight, so that means you're stuck with just me. So I completely understand if you just want to cut ties and and cut out early. That's fine with me. But if you can muster it, uh, I think we'll have a a decent talk here tonight. We won't go on to our our normal length. Hopefully we'll, we'll have a little short episode here. But there was enough I wanted to talk about with the Super Bowl finishing up and the end of the NFL season, uh, kind of what the the Packers roadmap looks like in the offseason and what they need to do to kind of address some things in, uh, for next season in 2020. And then, of course, I'd be remiss without talking about the loss um, that the sports world had with the passing of Kobe Bryant. Super Bowl 54 matched up with the 49ers and Chiefs. I have to say, um, I really wanted to help out friend of the podcast, uh, TJ. He was on earlier when uh, talking about the matchup with the Packers and the 49ers. Uh, he's a big 49ers fan. So I want to kind of pull for him, but there's just something about it. Like Kyle Shanahan, the whole Shanahan family, it's not, just not a family I can get behind after uh, the devastating loss that my... Uh, that my Packers and everybody else's Packers had at the at the hands of Mike Shannon and his father and the and the Denver Broncos, uh, the cheating Denver, Denver Broncos. I don't think uh, if you don't know about that, they had some under the table deals to promise money to players to avoid the salary cap, and uh, I feel like the league and everything else just tried to do what they could to sweep that under the rug to make sure they got John Elway as his championship, but no sour grapes, no sour grapes at all, but. So that lead me to believe I couldn't, in good faith, cheer for the 49ers, even though it looked desperately like they were going to win. Um, I think I even texted uh, TJ to let him know good game after they had that interception of Pat Mahomes late in the fourth uh, when they were up, what was it, 20 to 10, I think it was at the time. Uh, don't hold me to that. But at that point, uh, Mahomes does what Mahomes has been doing all, all playoffs. That makes it now, what, three straight games where Mahomes pulled his team to victory after losing at some point, especially late in the game. They had that comeback victory um, versus the Titans um, to kind of get in the championship game. And obviously the comeback win that they had in the divisional game um, against the Texans. Um, and then in fitting, just in fitting feel, they go ahead and take care of business in the biggest game of his career, Mahomes bringing his team back, scoring 21 unanswered points. So it leads me to believe that Kyle Shanahan has had just a devastating appearance or showing in the biggest game of his life. Like he, as a coordinator, they fell apart when he was with the Falcons. And this now brings another game where they're in the big game. They're looking good. That defense looks strong. Looks like they that finally the Chiefs' speed has met their match, and then they just can't put them away. So I don't know if that just shows their complete lack of faith at the quarterback position, but who knows. So as a Packer fan, um, Andy Reid has a, a long historic memory as a quarterback's coach, 
uh, infamously for the big quarterback room. I think it was Doug Peterson. Matt Hasselbeck was part of that group. Um, can't remember who else was part of that, but obviously coaching up Brett Favre too, where he, he kind of was a buffer for Brett Favre and Mike Holmgren. So um, beloved uh, coach here in Green Bay was even beloved, even more so in Philadelphia. Um, no ill will. Like he's definitely a, a coach of the game, well-respected. So it was great to see him finally, I think 20 years it took him to get his, his Super Bowl ring. So well-deserved, happy for him and even more happy because he's, he's a man of the people. When they asked like what he was going to do, um, Mahomes obviously said that he was going to go to Disney World, kind of the cliche response from the MVP. But Andy Reid, when asked what he was going to do, he was going to go get himself a cheeseburger, the best cheeseburger, biggest cheeseburger he could find, and even, heck, he was going to make it a double. So good job by you, Andy Reid. Congratulations to the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, I think well-deserved. If you take one thing as a Packer fan coming out of that, we beat the Super Bowl champions. So there's that. Kind of moving on to the Packers season that was, uh, it was a disappointing loss to get embarrassed again uh, playing San Francisco to basically not even have Jimmy Garoppolo throw a pass hardly. I mean, what do you throw? Have like four for six or or six for eight? I can't even remember what the what the pass total was. But we got completely completely obliterated, like on the ground. We could not stop their ground game, even with Tevin Coleman going down early with his what was it his shoulder injury. We had no answer for. Uh, Raheem Mostert, like he basically just chewed our defense up. So it leads me to kind of talk about what what's kind of in store, or what kind of is in need for the Packers going into 2020. So what's interesting about our 2020 view is we have a lot of interesting free agents coming up here. With that, I think you're going to have some interesting decisions to be made um, from the front office. Um, kind of the headlining person um, for the Packers is definitely going to be Kenny Clark. I think that's going to be priority number one. I think you heard about it um, kind of in the offseason. Um, I know Goot's going to probably make him a priority. But that leaves a lot of kind of other interesting players. What are you going to do with, I think, Bulaga is coming up on a contract here. Uh, Tremont Williams is up on a contract here. Crosby, Velda here, Geronimo Allison, Mercedes Lewis, Briggs, Fackrell, BJ Goodson are all uh, looming free agents and, and are going to need to be kind of decided. I think Blake Martinez is also uh, up on his, finally on his rookie deal. He's going to be available. They're going to have a lot of tough decisions to make, especially from a team that, that could use some line help. What do you do with Balaga? Do you leave that open? I know you had the emergence of um, Elton Jenkins had a, had an awesome rookie year, but what do we do with that tackle position? Um, he's going to have big shoes to fill. Do you draft somebody? Do you kind of sign him? Maybe he'll give you um, a team-friendly discount. He was unusually healthy going into the 2019-2020 season, so I don't think you can kind of bank on that going into 2020. So this is something you probably want to address, um, whether you're in the draft or come in the free agency again, um, kind of like what they did last season. Also, what are they going to do with like inside linebacker? Um, but I think one of the biggest things that it kind of showed um, – is our lack of speed and athleticism on some of the defensive end. I think you, you saw a much improved defense. I'm, I'm glad to see Mike Pettin's back. That was a great decision. I, I'm glad to see he, he being uh, coach LaFleur didn't uh, kind of overreact at the end of um, a very disappointing uh, 49ers and then the championship game. 
it was great to see he didn't just do a knee-jerk reaction. I, hopefully he thought about it um, and thought wiser. I think you did see a huge improvement from the defense, so I think your three is going to be a, a much much better. It usually takes like three seasons to see a defense fully transform, so I'm really eager to see what that's going to look like. But that being said, hopefully they can address the Kenny Clark contract. Um, I'm not sure we see Blake Martinez back in, in a Packer uniform, which is kind of depressing. He's done the way, he's played the position the right way. He's kind of attitude and and sportsmanship kind of kind of caliber guy, good locker room guy. Um, it'd be nice to see him back, but you know it's a business, so um, inside linebackers are a lot easier to groom and find. Um, he had career tackles um, each of the last like three years, but it kind of is the point of a three four defense. You kind of you you rush the outside to funnel all all of the work and, and uh, I guess the plays and stuff like that all get funneled to the inside. So I mean it makes sense um, that the inside linebacker has as many tackles like he does, but he did play the game right away. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with that. Um, if they look to sign somebody, if it's not him, or they're really going to go to the draft. Um, but you didn't see a whole lot of depth there this past year, so it's definitely going to have to be a. a free agent signing or, or a look elsewhere see what they could do or maybe they do like, surprise us all and kind of come back with a with a contract basically the top five things i think you could see that the packers would need in my opinion i'll be interested to hear what the guys think too but um i think aside from like the defensive kind of implosion especially with the unable completely unable to stop the ground is definitely the lack of playmaking on the offensive side I think one of the things you were kind of surprised as a Packer fan this year was the complete downfall of the offense. Lack of playmaking ability, lack of speed. I mean, poor Devontae Adams was like the only guy out there, it seemed at times. So I think we need to get him some help, whether it be another uh, legitimate playmaker um, on the outside. Um, kind of move maybe uh, Devontae into the slot, be more of a possession guy. But if you got to get some speed on the outside, like Sammy Watkins is available. That'd be an interesting one to kind of see what happens there. Um, I think we, what we can say is like MVS um, basically disappeared uh, from the beginning of 2019 to the end of the season. Geronimo Ellison was basically a non-factor. Basically, it was the emergence of Alan Lazard, who's also a free agent coming up here, was the primary reason that or the only real other weapon that the Packers seemed to find um, at the weird position. So it's really would be interesting to um, what we're going to do in the draft. If we actually um, can pull something out of our head or, or, or find a good, good skill position uh, first round, which would be the first time it's happened in a while. I think this would be a good opportunity for the Packers to kind of flex um, their ability to sign somebody. I think I'd like to see a, a known skill a known commodity um, give Aaron some weapons um, I don't think Jimmy Graham's going to be back, so hopefully Jace Sternberger can make that that leap in his second year. I think he's a, he's a more than capable receiver. He showed at the end that he's he's elusive, able to get open. Uh, I think he gets the fundamentally the game. Aaron trusts him. Uh, went to him um, in that 49ers game. Um, or to say Lewis wants to come back, so that'd be an interesting kind of playmaker or big tight end blocker playmaker you could kind of bring back. But I think what really needs shows that from a pass catching ability, we really need. Um, another person to kind of open up the offense a little bit, get those guys in space, those guys being Aaron Aaron Jones and, and our boy Jamal Williams. I think it was really interesting uh, coming out of this year that we saw the emergence of Aaron Jones, the pass catcher. So I think he's another weapon you can kind of get more and more involved um, in the offense. But you, but you need that guy. You can't, you can't have just your running back 
and having one wide out the the league's just not built that way anymore you need to have multiple weapons and if the chiefs victory in the super bowl has taught us anything it's speed and multiple speed pass catchers so yes you have a a, a stable grizzly veteran like Devonte adams is a, is an amazing number one i'm not going to doubt that i think that's we got that well taken care of but I think you're missing the years of past where you had Jordy and you had Cobb. All were more than capable receivers. I think we underestimated the need of having um, that kind of utility guy, which I think maybe the Cobb role kind of gotten has gotten morphed into the Aaron Jones running back slash uh, that slot like utility type player. But you're missing that that great number two, like Jordy in his heyday with Devonta Adams was just it's a very hard hard offense to stop. So I think that needs to be addressed. Um, like I said before, hopefully they can figure out something in the draft or if they could maybe try to lure like a Sammy Watkins or something like that. Um, who's also a free agent or I know there's also been talks of like a Robert Woods Rams might be moving on from that regard just to try to free up some cap space. Cause they, they got themselves in a little bit of cap hell. So maybe he's an option. He's be, he'd be great. So I'd be more than happy to, to bring him in the system, uh, that speed in and, and, um, his route tree is fantastic, so that'd be a, a good weapon to do. So be interesting what Goot kind of does with that. Defensive line, I, I know we talked about Kenny Clark is going to be the big, obviously, headliner, I think, in the offseason. I think that's going to be the, the obviously, the the number one priority. But even past him, um, I guess it leaves Dean Lowry and then the likes of, what was it, like Tyler Lancaster and somebody else. Like, these are no-name guys. And if you're really going to – I think if you move to the 3-4, you really got to have a pretty stout front – um, to kind of take that initial pressure to allow uh, the linebackers to kind of come in. Um, it's really like an outside linebacker type of game. You really got to have those athletic guys. Really, you kind of saw that a little bit with the, with the Smith brothers. You see really having the basically all pro careers, like the all career uh, numbers. It was it was great to see. It was fun to see. It was great to see uh, my guys, Darius Smith, and how, how they both kind of banded together and kind of really were positive influences in the locker room, which – you kind of heard was a little bit in turmoil the last couple of years with different player moves they had to do, like having to move on from Randall, even some others just kind of like a little bit toxic, uh, that defensive end. So it was good to bring, breathe a little bit of outside life and fresh air to the, to the group. And I hope they can kind of build on that a little bit as well. And I think the last thing I want to kind of talk about, uh, things I want to see them try to figure out coming into 2020, like I said, the offensive line, I think you really need to figure out what, what's going to happen with the, with the probably moving on of Bulaga. Like I said, they may bring him back on a one-year deal, but that's not the long-term solution at that position. They're really going to need to figure out something. Um, and I think a free agency might be a good way to do it. They did it uh, kind of in last year with um, the signing of Billy Turner. Like I said, Elton Jenkins in the draft was, was fantastic find, but you can tell that the C line doesn't get any younger. Uh, even Bakhtiari is closing in on the last couple of years of his deal. We're very quickly going to be into a situation. The line's going to age just on the same trajectory of, of Aaron Rodgers. There are some more than capable like tackles coming coming available. So I'd, I'd like to see them go back and give Balaga like a, like a two-year deal um, just to kind of shore that up or, or kind of get a little bit excited or get a little bit uh, aggressive in the free agent pool and, and bring in some guy to help protect protect Aaron. So the last thing I want to cover, we made it this far. You guys haven't turned out, turned off the episode yet, so you're still with me. I want to cover 
earthquake that the sports world felt uh, a week ago at the passing of uh, Kobe Bryant. I think first and foremost, I want to make sure um, I express this, the, the thoughts and prayers and general heartfelt sympathies to the families and friends of the nine people that perished in that helicopter crash in Calabasas, California. Just unbelievable. I don't know how about everybody else, but I remember getting the alerts on my phone from TMZ saying that the helicopter crash had happened and, and Kobe Bryant was on the, on the helicopter. And I think, I think a lot of people echoed the same sentiments that they didn't believe it. It wasn't real. Um, I don't know if it was that TMZ has gotten reports wrong before, or maybe you're just hopeful that the news wasn't quite right, but it was left me in shock. And I'll be perfectly honest. I wasn't an overly big, big Kobe fan uh, my whole life. Um, it was one of those things like when you, when you speak the word Kobe to any sports fan, it's like one of two responses. He's either he's going to be the, the hero uh, if you're on that side of the fence or he's the villain. And I think he took that, that personification to a different level unlike anybody else the only one comparable probably at this point would be jordan and i think part of that was that i was a huge jordan fan right um big jordan fan and then a big shaquille fan and those two worlds collided um at, at kobe's feet he was always compared to jordan whether he wanted to or not and then um in 2000 obviously when when shaq kind of joined him with the lakers um, and then how that all ended kind of left you to pick sides. And I, I was always one that thought it was Kobe's fault, but as you learn more and kind of of who he was and the work ethic and things like that, you, you find out he's a different person. So, um, I wanted to do my kind of tribute to him and, and kind of my thoughts. Um, and then we'll wrap it up. But we talk about Kobe Bryant, uh, the player you can talk all the numbers you want. Probably one of the top five, definitely top 10 basketball players to ever step foot on the court. I mean, he was an 18-time All-Star, two-time scoring champ, five-time NBA champion, 15 times selected the All-NBA, 12 times All-Defensive team. He was on the All-Rookie team his 90, in 96-97. He was four-time MVP, two-time like Finals MVP. The guy was amazing. And I don't think there's anything else I could say about that. On the court, he was amazing sometimes fell short off the court. Uh, we won't go too deep into that, but I think he did his best to try to fix the image or do what he could to kind of repair the thoughts that people had about him. And I think everybody's in, in should be given that second chance. And I think he's done the most of it. What I thought was really interesting about the guy is he's probably, I mean, maybe Steph Curry might be the only other one, but he's probably the last guy that's going to spend um, his whole career in one city. I mean, 20 years as a Laker, there was times, there was rumors where he thought he was going to leave LA or like ask for a trade, but they never really came to fruition. And he stayed the full years, especially the dark years where um, they weren't um, the powerhouse that was um, even going to his last uh, his last season. Like the Lakers were like, what, a 15, 16 game uh, winning team. And then he goes into that performance, his last game as a Laker, and drops 61 on you. Now, you can go and have all the arguments you want about how he shot 50 sometimes and whatever else, but to still drop 61 is impressive. And to do it in your 20th, like, um, 20th season as a pro 
it's unmatched. The the man he was beginning to become in the second act, like at 41, he was doing what he could to kind of flourish the next generation. I mean, Giannis was even um, under his instruction or tutelage. He worked out with him quite often um, during the off season. You hear all the stories now, especially, I mean, that tends to be when all these crazy and, and interesting and fun and exciting and, and just joyful like stories all come out. And it's, it's unfortunate that it has to take, uh, has to happen when the lives are lost that we, that we share all these great moments. But I think of the outpouring that you're seeing, that Kobe transcended the game of basketball. Like he was bigger than, than the NBA. He was bigger than sports in general. Like he was a worldwide figure. Um, started to get into the the children's, uh, books. I think he was an author. He was working on some of that stuff. Um, the work he was putting in to coach, uh, his daughter's team, which inevitably was what they were on the helicopter for was trying to make a tournament game. Kobe was more than just the game of basketball. I think if anything you could take away from from the loss of of a legacy like that is is to try to do what you can to allow his legacy to live on. I know after watching all of the tribute videos and kind of remembering like the memorable games I was a, I was a, I was I'll admit it, I was a Laker fan during those like Shaq Kobe years. Um I definitely watched as a fan from afar. I'm not going to say that I overly rooted for him, but I I could definitely pull for a guy like that. Definitely impressed by his talents, but finding out how hard he worked, how crazy dedicated he was to the sports above anything else, almost to a flaw. You hear the stories about how he's either good teammate or he's not. And I think one of the funniest stories that I think I heard was the Phil Jackson conversation I think they had towards the last season that there were some teammates complaining about kind of his attitude towards them or how he wasn't really helping. And on the flip side, you saw Kobe's side where they thought they weren't working hard enough. They weren't dedicated enough. He saw himself as like, I'm in here putting all this work in the, in the gym. I'm doing all this stuff to work out my body and making sure I'm ready to go. And then you have these guys who are not doing the same. And the conversation that Phil had, I think, was a kind of a turning moment in his career. I think he mentions it um, in the Showtime documentary where basically it's like, Kobe, like you're at a 10. Nobody, nobody's disagreeing with you. You're at a 10 and you're seeing all these guys and you think they're putting in fives. They're, they're putting in fives compared to you and, and you're, you're full bore and you're wondering what's their problem. Well, you never think about their shoes, right? Like in their minds, they're, they're giving it all they have. They think they're giving it a 10 and maybe just maybe their tens aren't the same as you. You are uh, on a completely different level than them. The fact that your tens may be different than their tens and you have to be okay with that. And I think that was a good, I mean, it was great on Phil, but I think it was also a good turning point and it's something that I think even he transcended later on, or he's been trying to work with um, younger players and things like that to put in the thought and the effort. And, and it's okay. So I think as a leader and as a, as a leader of like, especially um, I think I took that away as a, from a coaching perspective, I think each player is different. And once you kind of honor that and know that their best is not the same as the next player's best, but they're still giving their best. And that's all you can really ask for from anyone. I think it's a big thing I can take away from him. But at the same time, it's not a bad thing to see somebody else put in the work 
have the talent and just dedication to something is something I hope for. And all of the, the kids and the boys and uh, that I teach and, and coach, um, I hope that my kids can learn something from the, from the um, legacy that is Kobe Bryant. I think that's the true honor that we can all have for Kobe, right? The, the idea that he can live on by the demonstration of who he was as a player, but more so what he brought to the game, the dedication he had, and even the fact that there's, there's life after sports, right? He was going into the second act of his life where he was really giving back and, and kind of honoring his legacy by, by making sure to pay it back and pay it forward. So that's going to be my takeaway from it. I'm going to do my best to honor the legacy that was Kobe Bryant by trying to live in his image, like dedicating as much as I can to what I do. Like, and I hope that, that my kids can learn that from him as well. Learn the work ethic that was, if you put yourself into something and you put your mind to it, it's unlimited what you can achieve. So with that, I think we're going to leave you with the lasting thoughts from Kobe Bryant himself. I don't think I could have done it any better justice. So without further ado, I'm going to let him uh, finish this off. So until next time, we'll see you later. All I can do is just thank you guys. Thank you guys for all the years of support. Thank you guys for all the motivation. Thank you for all the inspiration. I can't believe it's come to an end. You guys will always be in my heart. And uh, I sincerely, sincerely appreciate it. No words can describe how I feel about you guys. And uh, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart. You know, it's not, it's not about my jerseys that are hanging up there for me. It's about the next generation. It's about embodying the spirit that exists in those jerseys up there and carrying this organization forward so that the next 20 years are better than the past 20 years. And that's what it's about. And then it's also about the fans. I don't think you guys understand how present you guys were with me. You know, you guys were there with me at 5.30 in the morning when I was running the track and I was midway through my workout. And I didn't know if I could make it through. And I thought about the expectations you guys had, you guys had for me and you had for our team. And it pushed me through. It got me through those 800s and 400s and 100s at 5.30 in the morning. So I thank you. You know, you guys know that you know, if you do the work, you work hard enough, dreams come true. You know that, we all know that. But hopefully what you get from tonight is the understanding that um, those times when you get up early and you work hard, those times when you stay up late and you work hard, those times when you don't feel like working, you're too tired, you don't want to push yourself, but you do it anyway. Um, that is actually the dream. That's the dream. It's not the destination, it's the journey. And if you guys, if you guys can understand that, then what you'll see happen is that your dreams won't come true. Thank you guys so much. I love you. Mamba out. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Questionable to Return Sports Podcast. Send us your questions, read more about us, and more on our website, questionabletoreturn.com. Follow us on Twitter at Q2Return and Instagram at QuestionableToReturn. You can also like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash QuestionableToReturn. Follow each of the guys on Twitter. For Andy, at Andy, the number nine, M-A-N. Mike, at Mike R. Daly. And Pete, 
at P. Cozy with a K, Junior Jr. Please consider giving us a five-star review, as well as sharing us with someone you know.